Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-467 of the Run Run Live podcast. How are we doing? In today's show, we are going to talk with a friend of mine, Gina, who has recently moved from her 9-to-5 job to being a holistic coach. Yes, a holistic coach. So we're working together. She's working with me as I try to figure out what's going on with my my body, and build myself back into this new season of running. And, oh yeah, before I forget, it's my birthday. Today is my birthday. And the supply chain must be really bad, because I did not receive all the gifts that you sent me, you thousands of loyal friends out there. All those expensive gifts. They must be sitting in a container ship off of Long Beach. And I know exactly where that is. I've run by the Queen Mary Dozens of times in the morning, out into that little marina there with the breakwater. Yeah, really pretty. Nice weather, too. A little bit too much cement, not enough trees for my liking, but nice place. So my gift for myself was a new Kindle Paperwhite. I haven't even unboxed it yet, but that's what I got myself. I had one of the original Kindles, and I really, really liked it. I remember I left it on a bunch of airplanes, and it kept finding its way back to me. So I really like that form packet, though. It's, you know, like reading a book. Don't really like reading on my phone. I will when I'm traveling, but I haven't traveled much, right? But that Kindle, that original one, it finally eventually went end of life because those evil bastards over at Amazon, they sent a software update that killed it. They just decided that I shouldn't have that anymore and killed it and refused to support it. So that was a couple of years ago, and it took me this long to recover from my peak. So I got a couple runs in this week. I went for a nice long five-miler with Ollie in the trails on Tuesday, but as much as I enjoyed it, and I also uh, made my knee kind of angry, and it's been achy ever since, so I've had to sort of... Uh, chill out for the rest of the week. I'm running with Ollie, fully leashed now, you know, full full leash mode, sort of in the heel position, and I have him on the six-foot leash, and I try to make him run in that heel position beside me. It's a work in progress. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get, why would you want to just do this? Why wouldn't we just run as fast as we can? 
so I spend most of my time correcting him. I guess it's good upper body workout. And he doesn't work with me. It sort of throws me off balance, right? We go in two different directions. So Ollie would make a terrible guide dog. So all you'd see would be Ollie sprinting down the road or the trail with the severed arm of an Achilles athlete dragging behind him, the bloody stump, and he'd be happy about it. I'm a work in progress, and Ollie is a work in progress, so let's face it, that's life, right? Anyhow, Gina has me doing a routine of foam rolling, stretching, and core, and I've done this routine for the last couple of weeks, and I do feel a bit of a benefit in terms of my form and balance. But now I need to load in some strengthening as well. I'm going to go out and see her this week and do a, a follow-up appointment, see what we need to adjust. Start slow, build a good foundation. In section one, I will share another presentation that I did to my group at work, my fitness group, about what we learned from experimenting with morning routines. I ran a project at work. And apologies for that audio. It's... You know, me presenting over the iPhone, so <laughs> over the uh, over the Zoom meeting, so it's a little dicey. And in section two, I'm going to talk a little bit about fitness apps. I'm not going to bore you with me whining about not being able to run. Not being able to run bothers me. It really does. Feels like a loss. And why is that, right? I was thinking about this because running is more than running for us, right? Running is our art. Running is our creative, spiritual act. Running is prayer for us, right? And when you lose your running, you lose that prayer. And that's the real loss. It's not the running. It's the prayerfulness of the running. And you can lose it not just by being physically injured like I am. You can still be capable of physically running and lose the prayer and lose the art. And you can lose that art just by trying to do too much, by turning that prayerful act into an industrial act and you forget what it's about. So I'm going to give you a gift and I'm going to stick a short piece written and read by Padre Gotuma on, uh, I got it from a podcast that I would listen to sometimes called On Being with Krista Tibbet. Then it has some deep and meaningful conversations. Great for your long runs. It'll give you something to think about. And I was stunned by this beautiful piece of writing this weekend while I was listening to it. So I wanted to share it with you. I don't own any of this. And the links to all of it are in the show notes. So enjoy. It's from an essay called Oremus, uh, meaning in Latin, let us pray. Prayer, like poetry, like breath, like our own names, has a fundamental rhythm in our bodies. It changes, it adapts, it varies from the canon it sings, it swears, it is syncopated by the rhythm underneath the rhythm, the love underneath the love, the rhyme underneath the rhyme, the name underneath the name, the welcome underneath the welcome, the prayer beneath the prayer. So let us pick up the stones over which we stumble, friends, and build altars. Let us listen to the sound of breath in our bodies. Let us listen to the sounds of our own voices, of our own names, of our own fears. Let us name the harsh light and soft darkness that surround us. Let's claw ourselves out from the graves we've dug. Let's lick the earth from our fingers. Let us look up and out and around. The world is big and wide and wild and wonderful and wicked, and our lives are murky 
magnificent, malleable and full of meaning. Oremus, let us pray. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday before Halloween and the final day of our time change challenge. So to quickly review, what we did was to create a group challenge to learn more about morning routines and how they can benefit our mental and physical health. So today we're going to do the the readout for this project and talk about what we've learned. And the challenge was to get up early and do five of something you wouldn't normally do, and then to see if you can keep it up for a whole week. And then the next part of the challenge was to report out each morning, if you could, to the team about how it was going. And it was really fun for me. It was informative for me to watch people doing this and and to watch what they were learning. But I always like to circle back to the the why do you care? And the why you care (laughs) is because all successful people have morning routines. It's a really simple hack to make your life better. And now, more than ever, in where we are, you know, we're under so much stress that a good morning routine literally saves your life, right? And I think the timing is good right now because as we move into the winter and the holiday season, the, it's a challenging time of year for everyone. You feel out of control. You feel like you have a million things tugging on your brain. And that morning routine is a simple hack to get back in the driver's seat. What we should have learned, the keys to success here, what we should have learned in this experiment is that this morning routines, they typically all have the same common elements. It's really not a mystery. But at the same time, there's no rules. It's really specific to what your needs are and how it fits you. So you can pick and choose what works for you. And I see people fail because they try to do too much or they try to get too prescriptive about their routines, right? Prescription works for some people and not so well for other people. You got to find what works for you. And the only really important thing to be successful with a morning routine is consistency. And by being consistent, meaning, you know, same time or close to the same time and the same activity every day, you build a habit. And it's important to note at this point that five days typically isn't enough to build a habit. It's typically more like 20 to 30 days, people say. But that consistency builds that habit. And once you build that habit, you have successfully rewritten your operating system. You've established a boot-up process for your day. And that process becomes your new normal, your new reality. And that's the power of habit. And after that, you can pick and choose which of these elements give you the most value. Is it meditation? Is it exercise? Is it some motivational reading or maybe some journaling? You don't need to be constrained, but, you know, you don't need to be constrained to what experts are telling you, right? Choose the elements that work for you, find what works for you, and do it consistently, and that's, that's, that's the win. That's the success principle. Some tactical learnings that I saw some people learn, <laughs> learning this week, and you may have learned, is that uh, you have to be consistent, and sometimes you're not going to get everything done, and that's okay. 
It's really the consistency and the cadence that gives you the win. And you have to take those small wins. And even though I told you folks, and uh, and I made it part of the rules, some people still tried to cheat nature and accomplish their uh, morning routine by sacrificing sleep. And this does not work. You need sleep. Sacrificing sleep for anything is unhealthy and unsustainable. So that's another tactical learning people typically make. Another tactical learning people make is that it's very easy to get sidetracked in these morning routines. You have to jump right into them. If you allow yourself to delay the routine by getting a cup of coffee or cooking breakfast or anything else, it can derail the whole process. You just lose that momentum. And do not ever glance at your your phone or your your email. That'll derail it for sure, right? Yeah, so the tactical reality is that's going to stop you dead in your tracks if you let it. You need to get up. You need to do the routine. And that's the successful strategy. And another thing that I find is very helpful is to give yourself the win, right? If all you have is five minutes, do the five minutes. Take the win. Life isn't perfect. Don't make your morning routine another exercise, yet another exercise in self-flagellation. Be kind to yourself. The other thing, and this is really important and really key, and I think this is what makes this project successful, is that did you notice how people were sharing what they were doing and how that created a ripple effect, right? So, yes, having a tribe with you in your morning routine or any other habit that you want to create, that helps you stay consistent. That connection helps you stay committed. We're tribal beings, right? Everything is easier with friends. So to to close out here, reviewing the benefits, you know, again, why do you care? What have you learned? Well, the learning should be that any positive morning routine sets you up to have a better day. Why? Because it allows you to set the tone before any external input sets the tone for you. Even if it is as simple as making your bed, if you give yourself a win first thing in the morning, you can carry that win with you into the day. And even if we have a crazy, out-of-control life, this morning routine is something you can control, and it allows you to control something first thing in the morning and gives you that confidence, that perspective, that you're in control of your life, and you can carry that over into all your thinking and interactions throughout the day, giving you that personal power. And as a result, no matter what, you end up establishing as your specific morning habit, you'll have a profound positive impact on your long-term health, both mentally and physically, and ultimately your happiness. And now for today's featured interview. Give us the 200 words on who you are and what you do, Gina. My name is Gina Newton. I am a spiritual and holistic coach. And that actually encompasses a lot. But what I think I help people do is balance their personal energy from both a mindset perspective but also a physical perspective. I am a certified personal trainer. I'm a yoga instructor. 
I am really starting to embrace a sort of mindset coach around caring for ourselves in mind and body. I work with people not only through mindset, sort of learning themselves, learning their patterns, understanding why we are the way we are, identifying just habits and patterns that may have served us for a lot of our life, but may not be serving us now. And the people that usually come to me are in a sort of a health crisis, actually. One of my clients that I have or have worked with came to me. She's like, I feel like I'm in a crisis and I need your help. And it's been a journey of physical healing, but also mental and emotional healing. And this is just such an important mission and part of my purpose. And I love it. And I became a coach and I started my own business after 20 plus years in the pharmaceutical industry in a very high stress, low self-care environment. What some would say I worked in a lot of toxic environments and I, it started to impact me mentally, but also physically. I found myself in deep physical pain three years ago. And so now it's been sort of my purpose to bring awareness to this for people to heal themselves in mind and in body. Yeah, so this intersects um, with a lot of stuff that I'm working on in my life as well. But we got to go back to the real reason why you and I are talking to each other, which is uh, we had the best Boston Marathon together. Like that is my number one of the 21 Boston Marathons I ran. That was my favorite. So That was 2010. Just to be clear. 2010. Yeah. So 2010 Boston was, it was one of my best too. I loved that Boston. Yeah. So I, we were cruising along and I bumped into Gina out in the middle of the pack someplace. And we just ran together for till miles 17 and a half, something like that. And then I took off and did a seven minute negative split on the last 10K of the course. So you're my lucky charm. Yes. Well, maybe someday we'll do it again. Uh, maybe. I got to get back in shape. But I feel pretty <laughs> I feel good. Good, so good. I, I ran yesterday. I did a slow 5K. Felt fine. The knee got a little bit of pain, you know, in the first 100 feet, and then it just goes away. Yeah, I think I'm on to something in my current rehab process. I think I'm good, good. And the reason I called you after all these years was that I am one of those people that's in transition, and I'm smart enough to realize when I'm in transition. I, I call these seasons, right? You have seasons of your of your life and seasons of your running. So I called you to ask, help me with my transition because my body's talking to me. How do I do this so I can do it for the next 20 years? Why am I a good fit for you? Oh God, so many reasons. Well, one, I just want to sort of like sit here for a second and reflect on what you just said. A few things, actually. My body's talking to me. My body's talking to me and I feel that in our world, in our society, I think everybody's body is talking to them, but I don't know how many of us that are listening to when the mm. body talks. And periods of transition, seasons, I talk a lot about uh, with my clients that seasons of our life, like even every month has a season, but even every year, of course, we have the, the physical seasons of spring, winter, fall, and summer. But why I think I really understand you, Chris, and of course, like, I'm not claiming to understand you at a very finite level, but 
I think we have a lot of parallels as individuals. And I think that in the society we live in right now, we don't really embrace seasons. Typically, we sort of are living in this culture where we're going at 100 miles an hour, 365 days a year. And I think you're at an advantage because you're listening to your body you're recognizing that you're in a transition or a change of seasons in your life, how you exercise, how you work out, how you run in particular. But one of my missions is with people in general is to bring awareness to like these two aspects, among other things, is that we have to care for ourselves in our minds and in our bodies, because yeah. as we age, as our life changes, according to some of our lifestyle choices, our bodies, they're just going to need something different. I just shared uh, today, I I wrote a Facebook status 13 years ago, I wrote, uh, oh, a trip to the gym took care of my hangover. And actually, (laughs) like, (laughs) and uh, I don't thankfully find myself with a hangover very often anymore. And actually, if I do have a hangover, I'm not going to the gym anymore. Because what I need now is very different than what I needed 13 years ago. But it was like, it made me laugh because it was such a reflection of I've evolved, my body's evolved, my mind has evolved, and it needs something different today than it did 13 years ago. Yeah, I think that's one of the symptoms or methodologies of that first season of your running career where you can burn anything right? It's like running is the solution to everything. And if it isn't the solution, you need to do more and you need to do it faster. So it's the old, yep. the furnace is hot enough, anything will burn. And I think we we mask over a lot of uh, physical and um, mental challenges yes. way in that first season of our running career, right? I mean, I did the same thing, everybody does it. Um, but then you, you move in the next piece, which is okay. That's non-sustainable. How do I treat my body better? How do I work with my body and my mind? How do I integrate it, right? That's kind of the second season, which is also very successful. I'm just making this stuff up. So, but now I'm looking ahead saying, okay, what's the next season, right? And I want that season to be, again, integrated mind and body and sustainable, right? Agreed. Yeah. My body as opposed to against it. Because I, but going back to your point, I think what's the quote? Uh, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation, right? Like you said, people are typically gripping the wheel so hard, they're like speeding down the highway out of control and they don't realize changes are coming at them, right? They're reacting as opposed to proacting. And you're, you're unique in that you were able to walk away from that work situation and just, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's killing me, right? And I think that's an interesting learning. It is actually, and it wasn't like, actually, I I have so many things to say. It was one of the toughest decisions I ever made. And I still consult part-time in my old pharma line of work, because that's what supports my family as I'm building my business up. But what I think is important to highlight here, and I want to come back to some of the physical, the reasons why I became so aware of the need to have seasons as it pertains to my physical body, but as it relates to my career and the fact of learning that it was actually making me sick. So I had been at this one company for 11 years. I was getting up at all hours to actually just to get into work. And when I would go in, my heart was racing. I was highly stressed, a lot of anger, a lot of fear though, right? So I- 
I knew I was becoming unhappy, but I was so afraid of changing. I was yeah. so afraid. And in parallel, from a physical body perspective, coming back to the running, my first season of running, I was running as long and as hard as I could and fast as I could. And I was finding a lot of self-worth and glory from winning age group awards and being in community, honestly, like running a marathon with someone, there's nothing better. Like it was just electrifying the Boston course, electrifying. And when you finish something like that, you're like, oh, I just want more of this. Yeah. It's a drug. Yeah. It is. It is. But what I wasn't prepared for, I ran hard and long and had so much fun. And then I decided I was going to become a mom. And so I ran through both pregnancies, especially my first one. I ran to probably 33 weeks and until I just the weight of the baby, I couldn't take it anymore. And then I had a emergency C-section with my first baby. And then she was such an amazing setup kid. My dad would call her that I had another one very quickly, which was also a C-section. And what I did was I also ran through the second pregnancy, but I had to stop sooner because my body was in crisis because I was carrying a second baby and my core had changed significantly. Only I was not paying attention to that. I was paying attention to the newborn and the job and the new baby coming. So anyway, long story, very long story short, I tried to go back to the way I ran in my first season of running following two C-sections in my body. And ultimately, my muscles were imbalanced, my core was significantly weaker, and was in a crisis myself, I became completely sidelined, not only from running, but from walking, even holding my babies with a deep physical pain. Yeah. And In retrospect, I truly believe that physical pain was a result of physical imbalances and the need to restore my core, like no one really tells you after you have a baby. But to be honest with you, what I believe it truly came back to was that I was not living my life in a way of alignment and fulfilling a purpose. But you were able to find the strength to change. How does that happen? Because nine out of the 10 people who are listening to us right now are saying, geez, You can do it, but I could never do that, right? You find the strength. Here's what I'll say a few things. I do think a bit of one of my patterns is that I'm a survivor. I survived a lot from earlier in my life. And I believe within me, it's sort of part of who I am that if once I set my mind to something, I'm not letting go. And what I would say to the listener who is hearing my story and saying, oh, I could never do that is I would actually invite them to get curious why they feel that way. And what comes up for them when they think about making a big change? And what comes up for them when they think about saying, well, this career that I've just spent 20 years in is no longer serving me. Well, I know what's coming up in me right now is a lot of fear and anxiety, right? Totally. It's to think that way. It's completely uncomfortable, but actually it's in that discomfort where we grow as people. And when we kind of say like, wow, I am totally petrified to do this. I mean, when I handed in my resignation to my job, I actually was very emotional about it. And I had a lot of people 
who are like, what about this? What about your kids yeah. education? And like, what about this? And what about this? And I just, and, and it, every day it, being an entrepreneur and being a mother are one of the things that I think have shown me my own stuff, yeah. like my own stuff. It's the most hum. Those the two jobs are the most humbling that I have ever experienced. What I will say is the fear that I feel taking some of these steps is not as bad as the fear of never having made any changes at all. Because I do truly believe that I would have been very ill at this time had I not yeah. made these changes. Yeah, yeah. You and I were talking about that, right? And I used to commute to the city on the train. I'd see those people every morning. I'm like, you're just dying. Every day you're dying. <laughs> it is. It's not I, I funny, think... but you know, you could just look at the people and go, you're dying. <laughs> One thing that I think has become really important to me, and I've encouraged my husband, who you know as well, yep. is like doing work that feeds your soul, even if it's not what supports you financially. And you know what? Running fueled my soul. For a long time. Yeah. And then I sort of, not to get religious or like too in the depth of spirituality, but I grew up Catholic, but I've become sort of a more selective Catholic and much more spiritual. And I, I sort of melt them together to form like what I believe in. And what it comes down to is like, I feel that from like a mindset, we need to do things that what is our soul purpose? What is the thing that lights us up? inside. And what I loved you and I were talking about is that you have a couple of those things that you do like this podcast is really sure. important yeah. to you and supporting the running community is important to you. My husband loves music and during the pandemic he took up guitar lessons and I can just see every night that he plays like it's just fueling his soul. And so that's what I would say to the listeners is yes, running can fuel our soul and I love running and it's hold such a special place. But I also would invite you to really pay attention to like when you're your happiest, what yeah. really lights you up, what jazzes you. And like, that's just really what your soul purpose and like soul mission, just let that yeah. lead you in life. Yeah. S-O-U-L, not S-O-L-E. Yes, correct. <laughs> correct. Yeah, enough about you. Let's talk about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's do it I'm, I'm one week into a little program with you you gave me a bunch of what i would describe as physical therapy exercises right and they're not challenging at all although i'm a little heated at the end of the second set right i got a little sweat going at the end of the second set and that just tells me i'm doing them right i want to add in some more of that foam rolling i got to get my calves so we gotta add calves to the list so i, I love like, it Half cramps this week. Can we talk about you? Yeah. Can we talk yeah, about tell me you what your strategy of... is? What's your strategy? What's your, your uh, so your discovery and your that led to your prognosis? Yes. Yes. So I will say so. So Chris came to my personal gym and I did a few routine postural assessments. And what I'll say is that it's becoming a sort of rampant problem that I see actually with all my clients right now. And that our core, the core of our bodies, which is literally responsible for getting us out of bed in the morning, I find because of our jobs, just sheer attention to that area of the body. I find more often than not, the core of any body that comes in front of me needs some strengthening. And in addition, 
as a result, what do I see most often? I see an arch in the lower back. I see some distortions in the positioning of the knees and the feet, the hips. I see the arch in the lower back, but then I also see an extension of the front body, um, which just kind of lends itself to those front transverse abdominus muscles that need strengthening. What I also see is hunching of shoulders. I am starting to see a lot of lump behind the neck. And that very much is very straightforward to me is like, we're looking on our phones, we're hunched over our computers. And that's one of the things like Chris brought up the foam roller. A foam roller is like one of the best things. And I was just thinking about this from like a social media post this morning, I recorded something and I didn't like the way it came out. So I didn't do it. But I'm going to do it is a foam roller can cost you, I don't know, between 10 and 20 bucks. I just bought like a really huge one. It was $19.99. I can fit like my whole body on it now, but self myofascial release is using a foam roller, massaging different areas of your body in an effort to relax tight muscles. And so when Chris came to my house, I saw some of these postural distortions, but then I also saw a lot of tightness all over his body in various places. Chris loves to run. I totally get runner mentality. Like we love running. Like so much of my life problems were sorted out during a run. But what I do find is if we just keep running and we don't do any of this maintenance work in between, that's where we start running into pains, discomfort, injuries. And I think even when I first started running, I could just run my heart out and I didn't have to worry about this maintenance. And when people would tell me, oh, you know, you have to do this maintenance work, I would just be like, oh, but I hate it. And it doesn't feel hard. And I don't feel like I'm getting a workout, just like as Chris was saying, but it's now turned in this season to be a non-negotiable. So right. if an, we want it's an enabler. Yeah. <laughs> it's an enabler and in, in, oh and, and helping of, you of continue your, to run. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, I know, but it's the foundation. You know, it is the foundation. And I have so many people, like I just meet more and more people and I tell them I'm a trainer and they're like, oh my lower back is killing me. My hips are so tight. And lower back pain and tight hip is a weak core. I have not met a single client yet that I have not prescribed significant core therapy and rebuilding and strengthening and in an effort to strengthen that part of our body. And it's not only helpful for just running, it's helpful for your day-to-day life, walking around in general. Bending over, anything functional. (laughs) And I think I'm noticing it, but it may just be in my mind. And the other thing that we're doing, which is different is different for us type of people is um, going slow, right? Going slow. Yes. Can I talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I think this is also a little bit a cultural thing as well. And I think back to like one of my last jobs where it was like, go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster. Uh, Yeah. Faster, harder, do it in a shorter amount of time. And um, I think that can be applicable to running races and just healing is not fast. And I see core restoring as healing, healing the body. So when I say healing, I mean strengthening, I mean restoring. And what I don't want to do is take someone who was doing absolutely no 
core work strengthening whatsoever and bringing them up to a one to two hour strength training routine, doing all parts of the body. Like I think that's actually what sends the body into distress. And so the way I work with clients is let's start off slow, let's build a foundation, and then let's keep talking and adding and modifying. And I think also, and I keep saying people like us, is we love a workout that we sweat, that our heart rate is up. And ironically, I became a yoga instructor when about 25 years ago, I did yoga and I was like, "Mm, this is not enough for me. This does not do anything for me. And I do think, and this is something I work on, not only with physical work, but also mindset and spiritual work is the magic is in the rest. The magic is in the the slowing down too. Yes. Yes. It's a discipline to slowing down. And I think probably another seasonal thing, right? You have to learn the discipline of slowing down. And it's a practice like anything else. A hundred percent. So that's the practice we're working on. Well, we got to move towards the exit because we're at the end of our time. What would be your your top one, two, three things that you would recommend to people right now, today? Oh, today, listen to your body when it talks. Listen to your body when it talks. Pain, tightness, that is telling you something. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're injured. Like, for example, for me, I had deep hip pain. And it didn't mean that I needed a hip replacement. It meant that I needed to start listening to my body and caring for my body and making changes into for my life that brought me into alignment with who I am. So just because it's a headache doesn't mean there's something wrong in your head. So listen to your body. The other thing is care about your core. And I tell people, if you can only do one thing on any given day is do a plank and start challenging yourself, start with 10 to 20 seconds and build up the time you spend in a plank. And the other thing, I guess this is really like kind of just coming to my mind right now is if you're resisting something, anything, changing jobs, uh, strength work, just sort of anything that you're like, I I don't want to do that. I would actually grab a journal and get curious as to why you may be resisting something because it's the things we resist. I believe we need the most. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Probe into that discomfort because that's where you find the good stuff out on the edge. So Gina, how do people find you? You can go to my website, healingwithgina.com. And you can find me on social media. I'm Gina Monteforti Newton on Facebook or at Gina.m.newton on Instagram. Okay. But you can access both of those from my website too. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for the chat. See ya. See ya. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Fitness apps. We live in a world filled with apps. I bet there is an app that would write this article about apps for me. So what's an app? Well, app is short for application, and application is a chunk of software that does something. And we are taking a software program and we are applying it to some task. And in that application, it becomes an app. Now, apps run on platforms. Think of the platform as the plumbing or the wiring standards. You can plug all sorts of apps into the platform. 
And a platform is typically based in a particular operating system, but in the modern world, it is a combination of the operating system, the cloud it runs on, and the hardware device you use to access it. So you might be listening to me right now on an Apple Podcasts app that runs on iOS on an iPhone. Or maybe you are listening on a Windows laptop using a Windows app. Or maybe you are listening on an Android phone using a Google app on the Google platform. So anyhow, apps, platforms. What are fitness apps? So fitness apps are applications that run on one of these platforms that aim to provide some sort of functionality addressing your personal fitness. Typically, apps get written because someone has a problem. They have a challenge. And the app tries to solve that challenge. Let's say you want to be able to track your runs or you want to be able to track your nutrition. Instead of writing it down in a notebook, you get an app, type it in. And by doing this, you're also creating data that the app can then use to make suggestions or computations for you. And I'm not going to try to be rigorous here because there are just too many apps to deal with. Now, we are all very familiar or should be with the workout tracking apps. Some of these are independent like Strava. Many are tied to the specific devices that you're using like Apple Watch or Garmin Express or Nike Plus. And these apps allow you to capture and store all sorts of data. Your steps, your movement, your workout, your heart rate, your sleep patterns. And without these associated apps, your watch would just tell time. How boring would that be? Now, most of these apps come with some sort of community or sharing feature as well, where you can compare notes or compare workouts or health stats with others in your tribe. Some of these apps are specifically designed for coaches. And this way, the coach gives you the prescribed workouts in the app, through the app, and you check them off and you do them with your comments. And it's a very efficient way for a coach to handle a group of athletes spread around the world and not lose track. So that's an enabler. And it's great for the athlete as well. You just log in, you see what the coach has given you, what's in the queue, you do the workout. Leave your comments, takes all the mystery out of training. But the holy grail here is that we will be able to use these apps proactively to identify health issues by analyzing the data that we're already collecting. A very simple example which is, by the way, already available, is the ability to identify AFib or atrial fibrillation like I had a few years back. In my case, I looked at the HR data and I said, hey, something's wrong. Something is amiss here. But there's no reason why an app with an algorithm couldn't have already done that. For every physical activity you can imagine, there is an app. It's not just running. And yes, that includes all those physical activities. I had to Google it, and God knows what ads I'll get targeted with now. But there are devices you can put in your uh, personal places that will track and graph your orgasms for you. There is an app for everything. And if you wanted to track something mundane like powerlifting or rowing or CrossFit, there are apps for that as well. Apps add value by making it easy to capture the data around your fitness, 
around that activity and connect you to others like you who have shared passions. Another place you can find an abundance of helpful apps is for your mental health. Especially in the current apocalypse, there has been an explosion of mental health-related initiatives and apps. Meditation apps like Headspace and Calm and a host of others guide you through your contemplative journey. Meditation is big business, and the apps, they just make these practices accessible to everyone. And finally, of course, there are scores of nutrition-based apps that help you with your diet. And you can set your targets, log your foods, work with a coach. If you have a nutrition coach or you're a member of one of those special diet communities, you will have an app that guides you. So why do you care? What's the why do you care? Because whether we like it or not, we are living in the middle of a digital age an age of digital transformation. And I think we've talked about this. The hallmark of this age of digital transformation is the conversion of physical things to digital things. Your food and your workouts, your hobbies and your passions are or have the elements of physical things. These will more and more be captured as data, digitized, And smarter apps, smarter devices, and smarter apps to consume that data, these apps will continue to feast on this data, to transform it into power, into health, into happiness. So don't be an old fart. Lean in. Learn something new. Play with some apps. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have holistically strengthened ourselves through the end of episode 4-467 of the Run Run Live podcast. How do you feel? More balanced, I bet. Thank you, Gina. Coming up for me is that Air Thanksgiving 5K. Should be fun. I know I can run a 5K, so that won't be a problem. The challenge will be not to get too swept away in the race vibes at the beginning and make promises that my body can't deliver. Uh, On December 5th, I then have uh, put a team together for the Mill Cities Relay. It will be a hoot. I'll take the broken old guy's short leg, the two-mile leg, and my old running buddies can fight over the actual racing. We are in the midst of kickstarting the old Groton Road Race again after a two-year hiatus, so stay tuned for more of that, but it will be in the spring around its usual date. And speaking of the spring, they have opened early registration for the 2022 Boston Marathon, and it's uh, it's going to be in its usual time and place on Patriots Day. I could register if I was qualified, but I'm not. So, <laughs> makes me wonder, should I keep pushing out this podcast if I'm not really competing anymore? Is it valuable? What's the benefit to you? But for now, I'll keep doing it because I know that it helps someone. At some point, it will show up at the right time and say the right thing for someone. And that's my little rock creating ripples in the pond. And I will tell you a story. During this week... When I read, uh, I had another meeting about with the fitness project, the office hours that I keep. And this is a week after the recording that you've heard already. I had a bunch of people show up, like 10 people show up. And we talked about what we learned from the morning routines. 
And I have to tell you, I was a little wary when I started this thing of putting myself out there in a work setting, right? I set up this challenge for everyone in my group to get up at a fixed time for a week and do something. I called it five at five or five at six or whatever you want to do. Just get up, do something you hadn't done before and report back to the team as you're doing it. And everyone listened politely, you know, but you get that, hmm, some clarifying questions. And Monday came around and, you know, I said, okay, my commitment's going to be, and I announced this to the group, I'm going to list five things every morning that I'm grateful for. And that was my commitment. And so that first Monday, I published out those five things I was grateful for to the team chat. And I was like, yeah, should I be doing this? And it was a scary moment. And I figured, what's worse can happen, right? I'm ready, I'm ready to retire anyhow. <laughs> then an amazing thing started to happen. One by one, people started chiming in with their morning projects. And we got through the week with a heightened sense of camaraderie. Mission accomplished. That's what I was thinking. Mission accomplished. And then I held these office hours and all these people showed up and they told me how the project had kickstarted them into a fitness routine. They told me what they had learned. They, they had tried to get up early and they had failed sometimes and learned. They'd learned to simplify. They'd learned to take what they could get. They told me about their new meditation practices and how those had allowed them to carry that calm leadership into their days. They told me about how these projects had opened windows of connectivity to their spouses and their children. I was shocked and humbled and, again, a little terrified. You know, before we had this fitness call, I was leading another call earlier in the week, and it was a client call, and it wasn't going great. I was getting a little anxious. And I know that you can't be anxious in these types of calls because it shows and then it bleeds through into the environment and it poisons the room. You have to lead. And I thought to myself, wait a second, Chris, take a breath. You're giving them a gift. You are the gift here. Your knowledge, your leadership, your ownership, this is the gift. And you have no control over how they receive the gift. If they choose not to take the gift or not to appreciate the gift, that's on them. And I relaxed and proceeded to do my thing, give my gift. And right then and there, in the middle of this call, somebody else was talking. I reached for a yellow sticky pad and, and I wrote down, I give you my gift. And I stuck that on my laptop for the week to remind me. And this is my message to you. You are only responsible for the gift. Whether it's a podcast or a morning routine, you give that gift that you have, and you give it without fear and without expectation. You give your gifts, and you let others take it, and you watch what happens. Give a gift of a sincere thank you in every interaction you have today. Give a gift of a sincere praise in every interaction you have today, and watch how those gifts come back to you thousandfold. And I'll see you up there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.